Ladies and gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to this episode of That's Entertaining. We welcome you back to another edition. This week we'll be discussing, of course, the 1996 movie Mission Impossible. But first, joining me as usual is Agent Dewey. Alex, welcome. Thank you, Nathan. I'm glad I've been upgraded to as usual joining. As usual. For now, we'll see. We'll see if that sticks. Oh, okay, there it goes. <laughs> so, welcome back. It's It's been a little bit since we discussed a film properly. We discussed E3 last week, which had a lot of good news. And, not, you know, looking back on E3, probably the best E3 in years as far as total content from it. So I would agree. We, we discussed that in depth last week. Obviously, we don't need to moan it again. But what have you been up to, Alex? What have you been entertained by? Well, outside of uh, almost beating your high score in Portal Pinball. Ooh, almost. almost. Close, but no cigar. Like close. Um, I haven't really been playing uh, too many video games outside of Destiny, of course, right? That's always the exclusion. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you even count that as a video game anymore? Do you count it as a game? No, it's just part of my daily routine. <laughs> uh, but I have been getting into the show Arrow. Haven't seen it before, so... Um, about halfway, a little over halfway through the first season, I'm I'm pretty hooked on it. So when I get my free time, that's what I do. I sit down there and I binge watch. Uh, what season are you in now? The first one. Oh, the first one. Okay. Yep. So yeah, because on Netflix there's seasons one and two, uh, which I was late getting into Arrow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently, at the end of last season, went to Netflix and watched all of season two. And then I've been slowly watching them as they come back on Hulu when they do the reruns for season three. Right. Um, good show. Yeah. The second season, I think, is superior to the first, so you're in for a better okay, run. Okay, good. Good, yeah, looking forward to it. But that's pretty much it for me as far as... That's that's, that's it, it for the Agent Dewayhe this that's week? That's it, yeah. No, no other gaming except Destiny? No other ga- Destiny, Portal, Pinball... Um, seen Jurassic World three times. You see it three times? Three times, and I'm going to go see it a fourth time when I go on my vacation. So. So you like it's it. It's the best. You like it. It's really good. Uh, speaking of that, obviously Jurassic World has crushed box office numbers and continues to. Uh, the second week of release, it was number one in the box office again, giving Pixar its first non-number one opening weekend. Wow. So I thought that was interesting. It's doing better, I believe, than anticipated. So Oh, much better, good. I'd say. Yeah, it's, it's a good movie, and I have only seen it the one time so far. I do want to see it again. I will buy it when it comes out and probably mm-hmm. watch it incessantly like Guardians, which uh, I think there's a link between those two. So, A few. Yeah, yeah. So looking at my things that I've been entertained by this week, still playing Witcher 3. I'm up to 99 hours in the game. That's... It's saying something for uh, for me to be sticking around in a game 99 hours. And how close are you to completion? I think I'm getting close. There's three acts, and I think I'm getting close to the end of the second act. Okay. Now, I know people who have beaten it within 70 hours, so I must be just taking my sweet time with it, which is fine by me. Uh, but, yeah, Xbox shows I've been playing it for 99 hours uh, as of this recording right now. So I am thoroughly enjoying the storyline, moving through it, and recommend it if you are... If you're mildly interested by anything that you've seen or heard about it, um, the gameplay mechanics are strong, the story is strong, uh, decisions matter. So, it's a good game. I got Arkham Knight yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on the day after Arkham Knight released. I have... I purchased four ver- or three versions of the game. <laughs> uh, the Is that all? I believe so. The PlayStation 4 limited edition that has the gray console that comes with it. I think they call it Steel Gray. I got that, which comes with the game. And I got the Xbox One Standard Edition. And then I got the Xbox One Collector's Edition that comes with a statue. So I accidentally ordered two Xbox One versions, but uh, a fellow co-worker said that he would he was going to get it anyway, so he just bought mine off of me. So, so now, now I'm into two, yeah. I was just going to ask, what would be the point of buying both copies? So, yeah, got my answer. Now I'm down to two. Now, I need to get to one if I'm going to keep my PlayStation 4. So I'm not 100% sure if I'm keeping that PS4 yet. It's still just going to sit in the box probably for a week or two. 
while I deliberate if I'm mm-hmm. going to keep it or not. I, I got it because I like the special edition nature of it, the, the color scheme, but basically they're charging... Because you can get the same... You can get a regular-looking Xbox, or sorry, PlayStation 4 with Arkham Knight for 400 bucks, or you can get the one that I got for 450 which the only difference is the color scheme. So you're paying 50 bucks for a paint job on the Xbox or on the PlayStation 4. So I'm not sure if I'm going to keep it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want them to announce that there's going to be like a Star Wars bundle with, with Battlefront towards the end uh, of the year. Because yes. if they announce that, I want that. I would rather not have the Batman one. I would rather have the Star Wars one. So how long are you going to hold on to it before you make your decision? Um, my return time frame is 45 days okay. as of yesterday. So uh, about a month maybe. We'll see. There you go. Uh, unless I was talking to some people online, if if one of the guys buys the version of Arkham Knight from that from me, I'll keep it. So, But he knows who dilemma. he is. I know. He knows who he is. He knows what he has to do if he wants me to keep the PlayStation. So... I got that, and as far as other games go, I played The Long Dark and Elite Dangerous. Both are the two games that are available on the Xbox One preview program. Well, not preview program. Um, like, early access. I don't know exactly what they're calling it right now, but you get access to these games that are still in development, and you can play them, and you have one hour to play either of those before you make it a purchase decision. So I put in, you know, the, the not the full time frame in either of them, but within an hour, of Elite Dangerous and of The Long Dark. I thought I would like Elite Dangerous, but I really do not like the controls. Hmm. It doesn't control right. You might want to check it out because Elite Dangerous is like an MMO in space type thing, from what I've heard. So you upgrade your your ship as you go along and things like that, so you might like that. Is it a shooter? Yeah, it's like a first-person space combat okay. uh, game. So you might want to... You can download the, the preview and check it out. Okay. The Long Dark is a survival game, so you're dropped in the middle of this, you know, northern, uh, so there's snow everywhere, um, climate in the middle of nowhere, there's no people around, there's animals running around, you just gotta find stuff, build fires, find food, survive, basically. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, it was worth a look. Um, in game time, I survived eight hours uh, before I eventually died, uh, but I think that's the end game, is I don't think there's a, a way to keep going i think it's just survive as long as you can kind of type thing so within a short amount of time yeah okay so i'm thinking that it'll be interesting to see it when it's fully released iterated uh it's got a good uh release so far with the early access so and i know it's on place or on pc so i talked to another coworker who's played it and liked it too interesting game i definitely would recommend that of the two uh, of what i preferred with my my time that I spend. And really, I thought I was going to go in and like Elite Dangerous, but I do not like the controls. Just Hmm. don't care for them. So. It's odd. Most first-person shooter games hover around the same central controller scheme. Well, with this one, you're you're flying a ship in outer space. Okay. So you're having to deal with, you know, momentum and everything like that. And I've played games that do it really well. Like, one of my favorites uh, is Star Wars Starfighter. It does the, the maneuvering really well, and I like the controls on that. It's because it's Star Wars. Well, that helps, obviously. But it worked uh, to fly around, and you could manipulate the, man- the uh, not maneuverability, the momentum, and flip around and keep going in one direction. You know, it was really responsive controls for that game. And this just, they're either too complicated, or they just don't click with me. And I just used the default setting. I didn't try to go and customize them. So maybe that was part of it, too. It took me, like, five minutes to figure out how to blow up a container in the first hmm. trial, not trial, uh, training mission. So I mean, controls aside, it may be a good game. It may be. They fix the controls. And I don't know if it's it's a problem with just me and my preference or, you know, if other people have the same opinion. But from my experience with it, I didn't like it because of the controls. And I really wanted to like it. Well, I'll play it and... I'll let you know what I think, and I don't know. Is an hour enough game to de- uh, an hour enough time to decide if you want to buy the game? I don't know. I mean, like I said, with me, I had enough time playing with it at that point because of the controls, and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm done. The other game I could go back and play again, actually, uh, the Long Dark, but you get an hour of both of those and you get a, a pretty good opinion for them. You kind of understand what they're doing, what they're trying to accomplish with sure. it. And another thing with that too is if you buy it right now, like Elite Dangerous is like 30 bucks or something like that. 
uh, when it comes out, it'll probably be a full $60 game because I think it's 60 bucks on PC. So you get it at a discount if you buy it now. That's a pretty big discount. Half off. Do the numbers. So that's all I've been entertained by this week, but I have been listening to some music uh, recently. Uh, yesterday, it was announced that James Horner uh, died in a plane crash uh, at 61 years old. So he's a, a composer, and as you all know, I really do enjoy listening to film scores. I think they're among some of the best music that you can really get today. Uh, the classic genre is all but dead, it seems, but you know Hollywood and these film scores have kept it going uh, through through the ages. Not the ages, through the years, <laughs> uh, recently. So, James Horner was an Oscar-winning uh, composer. And he did films like Titanic, Braveheart, Avatar, um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I mean, he did some iconic movie scores. And James Cameron liked worked with him a lot, and he had some, some good stuff to say about him as well. But uh, it's really worth looking into his career, looking into some of his... Music that he's put out. I was listening to the Braveheart soundtrack yesterday. You know, that was one of his soundtracks that was one of my favorites that I don't listen to often enough, honestly. But really good career. Um, lost him ahead of his time. He was he was going to work with James Cameron on the uh, follow-up of Avatar films. So he was signed in for both of those, but obviously now that's going to have to be completed by somebody else. I don't know if he's worked on them yet like compose any of the music and it'll be like a, a, a by credit with him and another composer finishing his work but I think it'll be interesting to see how you compare the un- Avatar 1 to like Avatar 2 scores to kind of see what the influences are but I definitely recommend looking up James Horner on YouTube or somewhere and listening to some of his music it, it's it's really good and if you want to listen to like a recommendation like the Braveheart uh, theme is excellent and Titanic obviously has great music to it too so Avatar most people saw the movie Avatar and listened to his music than that so I recommend giving it a listen but I, I agree but I don't I don't know I agree, if Alex very... listens to classical music no of course yes he he did some of the great uh, classic movies like you said that they were just really big scores you know what I mean? They really elevated the movie that he was you know, composing them for and just took it to a new level. I think scores take movies to a new level all the time because if you take the music out of movies, most of them are pretty boring to watch. Have you seen, like, they did a cut with taking the music out of Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I've seen it. Yeah, it or and, putting it with, like, a synth track that would have been a common thing. Awkward. Yeah. Since it's awkward to watch. It's Yeah, so, I mean, really sad. I feel like we hear a lot about lately just a lot of these plane crashes um on smaller private planes and uh you know taking people too soon and especially people that are well known and i don't know is it safe for these celebrities to continue getting their pilot license and <laughs> flying their own planes i mean my goodness yeah i mean you, you know you, you think immediately of plane crashes recently in harrison ford obviously he escaped that one with minor injuries injuries so this one, I don't know what type of plane it was. If it was, because Harrison Ford's was a like a, a World War II type plane, and uh, Horner's, I believe, was more of a modernized plane. So who knows? And he was the only one on the plane. Yeah, as from far what I heard. Yeah, as so far as I heard too. Had to be small. And as far as I know, like they haven't released any of like the call like black box details or anything on it yet. But um, don't know what would have happened. I mean, mechanical fail- failures could happen in uh, in plane flights, but like two people that will be. Uh, on planes, you know, in the coming yeah, months. Yeah, let's not talk about <laughs> let's it. Let's not talk about that. Jeez. So, but, tremendous career, and I believe that it is definitely something that, if you're a film fan, you should listen to at least one or two of his tracks and just remember the man for the work that he's done. But that's really all I've got for this week as far as what I've been entertained by. And all the news was really last week, but we're not really a news podcast anyway. We're just talking about stuff and things. And <laughs> you know what? Let's transition into our entertaining thoughts for this week. Mission Impossible, the 1996 movie. 1996. Now, we, we did Jurassic Park, which was 1993. Compare the two films... From a technical aspect, 
Which one do you think looked better? Did you get a chance to watch Mission Impossible before this podcast? Yes. Okay. Which one do you think what looked better? Jurassic Park. Yeah. Now, the green screen effects and the, I forget what they call it, but like, you know, in old TV shows you had uh, people driving in a car and you would have stuff like rolling past them or like yep. a little thing. There was a lot of that, like in like the train scene especially. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot, spoilers, by the way, Mission Impossible, every week, 1986, spoilers, spoilers every week. <laughs> uh, so if you haven't watched Mission Impossible, <laughs> uh, why haven't you watched it? It's on, like we said, it's on Netflix. Uh, so it's easy to watch this. And next week we'll be talking about Mission Impossible 2, which is also on Netflix. And I think the other two are as well, if I'm not mistaken. But I know the second one is definitely. Yeah, definitely the first two. So, looking at this movie, and you immediately, I think of comparing it to Jurassic Park, which I watched last week. Mm-hmm. Night and day difference in the in the graphic works, because you look at the set pieces, like the train scene, which was cool when they were on top, but the helicopter portion, the helicopter just didn't look quite right. Um, but back in '96, we really didn't care, right? Right. I mean, it's nineteen nineteen years ago. Right. It was nineteen years ago. Wow. Nineteen years ago. That's two decades ago. Yeah. So 20 years ago, so that's why I've been kind of comparing it to what I saw visually from Jurassic Park, because that was three years before. And we're spoiled. We are. Right? Today I mean, we are, for what sure. What our eyes see nowadays, mm-hmm. I mean... We look at it more with a critical eye, which is kind of thing... Kind of not good to look back at these, because this is a formative movie. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that, you know, the theme song alone for this movie, I was humming in the, you know, just going around in a, a schoolyard doing my little spy mission type stuff as I was playing around, or if I was doing something at home, trying to sneak around, dun, 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 you know, just, you're going around, you're, you're humming it to yourself as oh, you're doing yeah. it, and it, I'm a spy, Nathan says. I'm a spy. <laughs> I'm a spy, mama. I'm a spy. <laughs> so, <laughs> this movie has the set piece with like that, but the really good one that still holds up, I think, is the one where they're doing the, the, the wire coming down inside of Langley yeah yeah to get absolutely. the knocklist yes mm-hmm. when you look Classic at scene. yeah you you think of Mission Impossible everybody always kind of thinks for this movie to that particular scene right maybe they blew all their money on that scene did they maybe might have it was it was under budget and on time I know that <laughs> when the movie was made but so you got that scene which still holds up today um, and you also have the scene that I always think of when I think of Mission Impossible as well as the where he's talking to the the bigwig agent that wants to try to take him in at the aquarium restaurant and he throws that yep. stick of gum mm-hmm. on there and he run out from the all the water, water coming out yep all the that obviously like you look closely at that there was more water that was being pumped into there that was not from that tank but it looked really good though they filmed that in slow motion this is before matrix with bullet time right mm-hmm. that were now you see slow motion like on comedy movies yeah they slowed down the frame, obviously, for these, and it worked really well for that particular scene, and it was really well done. Again, thinking back to 1996 reactions to this movie. Um, again, really, really positive. Going into this movie, let me ask you, what were your expectations, and when was the last time you watched it? I can't remember the last time that I watched it. It's been at least 10 years, probably, since the last time that I watched it. And... I knew, I, I remembered scenes and images from the movie, and I remembered certain things that would ruin the movie if you hadn't seen it before. You kind of remember the overall plot. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, the the tank scene that you're talking about, I definitely remember that. The wire in Langley, I remember that. Um, but that, that was pretty much it. I mean, the story, the characters, um, and, and, you know, being 10 years later, 10 years older, I'm looking a lot more closely at the storyline. It's easier for me to follow than just you know, watching an a action movie. Right, because when you first saw it, like, I don't know if you saw it in the theater or maybe, like, shortly thereafter, like, at VHS. Mm-hmm. VHS. VHS. I um, love VHS. Yeah. And y- if if you were that age, you tried to follow the story, but at the end of the day, you're like, I don't care. Something else is happening kind of cool here. Yeah, and it, it's, it, it's not the same. But watching it this time around, yes, we can nitpick at the, the graphics, right? We can nitpick at the... Sometimes when you looked at it, it just looked off, right? And mm-hmm. kind of distracted. But And again, like I want to reiterate, too, I, I don't want to nitpick about it. I'm just kind of 
contrasting to what we saw with Jurassic Park, which is of the same time era. Right. Um, I don't think this film ages as well as Jurassic Park. I would agree. And actually, just so you know, fun fact, right? Jurassic World was three years, or Jurassic Park. God, I got Jurassic World on the brain. <laughs> Jurassic You've seen Park. it three times. Jurassic Park was released in 1993, so three years prior to Mission Impossible, right? Mm-hmm. It only had a budget of $63 million, okay? Mission Impossible, $80 million. Mm-hmm. So there was more money put into Mission Impossible, but still, like you said, it doesn't age quite as well. When you're looking at it, Jurassic Park looks more visually appealing. Um, it was three years earlier, so. You know, and I haven't watched this one recently either, but... I've seen it more recently than Mission Impossible the last time I watched that. I think the year before this movie came out, James Bond came back as Pierce Brosnan with Goldeneye. And you had... Also had Die Hard around this time frame, too. This movie really reminds me of a mix between Bond and Die Hard, right? Right. So you look at Bond, which came out the the year before and with Goldeneye. And again, I have I need to go back and rewatch that. But I think that aged even better than this movie as well. I, like, like I said, I need to go back and rewatch it. That's one of my favorite Bond films, and I will, I'll gladly do it. So I think it ages better than this movie as well. I don't know why. Right, so 95 for Goldeneye uh-huh. and $58 million for the budget. Well, so still, they pumped a ton <laughs> of money into this Mission Impossible film. What did they spend it on? John Voight, maybe. Because he, he was big at the time. He was very big at the time. And then and Tom Cruise. Gene Reno. Yeah. Ving Rams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Ving Rams, I mean, you look at, uh, when did The Professional come out? Leon The Professional for, for it, Jim Renew. It was, I think it was early 90s. Like 92, maybe 91. Something like that, there. yeah. So you look at that, and you have, your budget was probably with all these actors. Emilio Estevez was in it, but I don't think he was as big of a star at that point as he had been. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had all these characters. Interesting use of the money. I wonder where it went. $80 million is a lot, especially when you compare it to Jurassic Park, which had puppets and groundbreaking CG, and it had, you know, a smaller budget. It, it definitely seemed like they could have balanced out their allocation of funds. It had to, to be the actors. You think? It has to be. Yeah. Because you, you look at Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan's your main character. That's the only person you know about that, and Judy Dench. And I and, bet their and now salaries there's some big names now, like Sean Bean, Famp uh, Jansen, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They probably weren't big at the time. But yeah, at the time, they, they weren't uh, the big stars that they would come to be. And then you look at Jurassic Park, who's your big star in that? You, you didn't really have one at that point, I don't mm-hmm. believe. So I, with those movies, they were able to actually more focus on what they were doing, probably with the technical aspect. Sure. This movie, I guarantee that it was name recognition. Because you look at the poster, right? Tom Cruise's name is as big as the Mission Impossible, you know, lettering on the poster. It's true. So actually, I think it might be bigger. It could be, and and you also have the name from Mission Impossible, is it was a TV show mm-hmm. as well. So you got re- name so, recognition from it. Exactly. So because of that, they probably got a bigger budget. They're like, oh, this is this hit TV show. We're going to actually make it into a feature film. You know, going from there. So now, was it worth it? Do you think? To make it. To, to put the funds more towards name recognition and high-profile actors than focus on something that ages better and a good story. I think it's I think it's better to put the, the funds, if this is what happened, just looking from the outside in, towards making it with better story and make it look better right. than the acting, or the actor, I should say. Because in this movie... The acting was okay. Like, there weren't any really standout acting parts. Cruz isn't... He was okay. I thought some of it was a little over the top. John Voight was kind of bad. It's a different kind of acting. It is. You you know what I mean. You'll know what I mean when you see it. It's over the top. It's, uh, It's not as subtle... And they don't focus as much on their faces they do nowadays. Well, maybe because they edit them digitally now, right? The best acting I thought in this movie was the guy that had the like diarrhea or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then then you definitely made a mistake with your money paid for all these high profile actors. Right. And that guy takes the award, right? I mean, you look at the acting in this movie. You literally felt for that guy. You're like, oh man, why they do that? 
did you feel for anybody else? Ving Rhames did a good job. Yeah. And but again, he always has this like subtleness about the way that he acts. He's very just straight up. Yeah. And then I can't remember his name, but the French guy, Jean uh, Reno. Jean Reno. He was. I think his character was kind of odd. I don't know if he was written that way or not. But he was kind of written kind of clumsy, mm-hmm. like almost dropped uh, Tom Cruise to kill a rat, uh, and he just kind of was in league with John Voight anyway. And I don't know how that came about. But, like, you t- look at the plot in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's some, some holes that don't really get... You know, I'm okay with them not saying everything on the screen. They don't have to project everything out in words from the actor point of sure. view. But I, I kind of don't understand how that one character, played by... Jean Reno? Jean Reno. Okay comes to be on John Voight's team, like the bad guy team. Right. You don't know. Uh, I mean, all you're supposed to know is that he's uh, disowned or what they call disavowed. Disavowed. Disavowed IMF agent. Yeah. Right? And somewhere along the way, we're supposed to assume as the audience that him and John Voight's character, Jim Phelps, I think it was. Yeah. And Phelps was the main character from the TV show. Was he? Yeah. He was like the hero of the TV show. He was the mm-hmm. main character. Okay. And the fact that they made him a bad guy for the movie was kind of interesting, too. That is pretty interesting. Because this is all, from what I read, the same continuity. There's no reboots. There's no anything. This is the same continuity from the TV show in the 60s through all these movies. So that's kind of interesting that they took the protagonist from the TV show and made him the antagonist in Mm -hmm. the first feature film and then killed him off. Yeah, twice. (laughs) They really didn't like him. They killed him twice. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe they were showing his craftiness and susceptibility to being corrupt over the years. But, I mean, to get back to your Gene Reno, I guess we're just supposed to assume that at one point in the audience that him and John Voight's character worked together or knew each other just from INF and then I- IMF. And then Impossible when... Mission Force. Couldn't think of a better name, huh? <laughs> nope. Okay. Um, but yeah, and then he gets disavowed, and I guess they still keep in touch, and they go to the dark side together. Why? Okay, here's my other big question from this movie: Why did John Voight's character, Mr. Phelps, why did he kill his wife? She was in on it. Why did he kill her? Why did he shoot her at the end? She may not be dead. Why did he shoot her at the end? I don't know. She was a lot hotter than he was. You know what I mean? And uh-huh. she was a lot younger, too. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have shot her. I don't I don't understand it because from a character-driven point of view, mm-hmm. she was in on it. She knew what was going on. She was on his side. Tying up loose ends? It's his wife. She's on your side. She's committed to your actions. She's already helping you do this stuff. What, why don't you shoot Ethan and stop him from coming after you? Why do you shoot her and then run away? I think it was to prove some kind of a point. I just don't think we got the point. I think there was something left out of this. There was some exposition that must have been left out. And there was that one point, point two, after John Voight comes back, that his wife is kind of, you know, grabbing Ethan Hunt's hand and kind of like, what was that? Mm -hmm. Like, her husband's been dead for like a day or two. Maybe, I don't know what the time frame is. Maybe a week. We'll give it a week. You're, you're not, like, going for the next guy in the room for convenience after your whole team of people died and your husband died. Obviously, she's in on it, so she knows something else is going on, and she's maybe trying to, you know... Distract? Distract him. Sure. But, yeah, that, that was just kind of weird. You know, here it says that Phelps tries to kill Ethan, but Claire intervenes, and Phelps kills her inadvertently. It didn't look inadvertent. So, again, we have to go back to just... Bad acting, bad blocking. You the know, framing of some of the shots, yeah, too. Yeah, if we can't determine... There was that, good framing and bad framing. I think it's probably a bad frame case. Absolutely, because if you can't determine that she's trying to intervene and inadvertently gets shot, that's a that's a big difference from saying, mm-hmm. why did he shoot her? Mm-hmm. Who was the director of this movie? Do you have that up there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can pull it up. Because I think you look at some of the shots you in this movie... You get a bathroom now? No, no, I just, I'm curious. Brian... De Palma. I don't even know what work he's done other than 
this now. The Untouchables, Carlito's Way, Scarface, oh. Mission Impossible, Carrie. So he's done some notable films. So I don't know if it was just... There's a combination of stuff that just didn't make this right with me in today's... With today's eyes looking back. Well, even with, in 90... What, 97? Six. 96 or 97? Do you think they're trying to pay homage to the TV show in the 60s? This I don't think so. This would be a shot that we would use in the 60s. You know what I mean? This would have been a shot that we would have used in the original Mission Impossible. The opening, yes. Because the opening scene... Absolutely. Like that, that little... That little with the the music and everything, mm-hmm. and then that mission that they're going in mm-hmm. right on that That's I believe is definitely opening. yeah, um, and the way they they have the opening credits, it you know it shows you scenes from the movie yeah that is that is TV show opening. Other than that, I don't think there's a lot of homage to the TV show. I mean, you take the main character and you're pretty much like okay he's bad now we're moving on, Tom Cruise is our guy, type situation. It's it's interesting. I mean, trying to usher in a new era in the feature film, right? Yeah. In they want something to distinguish the TV show from the movies. I get that. Yeah, and I want to be clear too. Is like, I feel like I'm coming off as like I didn't like this movie, but it's not that I didn't like it. Because I remember liking it back in the 90s when I watched it. Right. It's just you've seen Jurassic World now, so you know. <laughs> I've seen Jurassic World. I've seen Skyfall. Yes. You know? I've seen the the later Mission Impossible movies. And I think, from what I remember, I, we'll talk about them as the weeks go. But as I remember, these movies get better as they go. Two is a little crazy with John Woo directing it and like some, some very John Woo things. Yeah. And Ethan Hunt has long hair and there's a bike scene. That's what I remember from two. But... <laughs> I want to be clear that I, it's not that I don't like this movie, mm-hmm. but it's also not that I like it. I, watching it, I was bored. I, I did get bored as well. Which is weird, right? I, I was going back into it and I was going to be like, man, this is great. I haven't seen this in so long. Looking forward to watching this again. I, literally, I was looking forward to watching it again because I hadn't seen it in, in at least, you know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. So going back... To watching it, I was excited, but after... But there were things that were drawn out, right? Is that why you got bored? I don't I don't know if it was that, or just that I started seeing like the plot holes, and I was focusing more on how it hasn't aged well. Mm-hmm. But taking aging aside, the plot holes and the acting really just didn't do much for me at all. The storyline, I understand... Overall storyline. There was the, a lot going on. Yeah, but the nuance and the suspension of disbelief that it asked you to give, especially when they infiltrated Langley. Yeah. I mean, you're not gonna have three a fire truck go when there's no fire, and then wait for an alarm to just suddenly go off when they're like, "We need to go here." You're not gonna have that like at, at CIA headquarters. Are you thinking of CIA headquarters in 2015 or in 1996? Even in 96, I would think. Because in 96, they had free reign to do whatever they want. Now they have a lot more checks and balances, you know, with with oversight committees and things like that. In the 90s, they could do whatever. And so they were probably detained. They, they would have their own fire department team. We'll mm-hmm. just say that. Right. So that little suspension of disbelief, I let it go. And the fact that the firemen were, were leaving the building with, the, with all the people trying to get out. <laughs> I, they're... And I don't know why I don't feel better towards this movie. It, it, it wasn't, I don't, it didn't come off as silly, mm-hmm. but I think it took itself too seriously at points, which maybe, I don't know. My, I Wake up, Nathan. They're I, all dead. I know. <laughs> That's right. I mean, there, there are some great quotable lines from this movie, admittedly. Red light. Green light, you know, was it, or was it blue light? Red no, light, it was red light, green light. Red light, green yeah. light. You know, throwing that in the heavy explosion. Hasta lasagna, don't get any of the Anya. <laughs> I love that line. I, even When I heard that, it immediately took me back when I was a kid. After mm-hmm. I watched the movie, I, I quoted that line, I'm pretty sure. But, you know, Mr. Phelps is, is going to self-destruct and this and that. And it, for 96, I'm sure the technology was great. Looking at the plane, the cabin of the plane... Like that uh, Voight was uh, flying in, and then that Tom Cruise was flying in. That plane was huge. That must have been, like, super, super first class. 
you've been on a plane recently. I've been on a plane. First class isn't even anything close to that. Like, it was like... It was like, yeah, side to side, it was humongous. Yeah. He had so much leg room, he could, like, stretch out in a lawn chair. Yeah, that wasn't a plane. That was a set piece. Yeah. Um, and the, the fact that they walk around with a little TV, like, cassette, you know, VHS tapes to watch. But whatever. Um, they're... I just, I don't know... I don't know what I feel towards this movie. I really don't. So in 10 years, though, are you going to want to rewatch this? I don't know. I mean, I know the story, and I knew the story going in, right? So since I know the story already, do I really need to go back and rewatch it? Now, if there's some nuance that it needs maybe touched on again in a later film that makes me want to go back and rewatch it, sure. I don't see that happening, though. Mm-mm. But... I don't know if I need to watch this movie again. Like I said, going in to watch it, I was excited. I wanted to watch it, but... So that's what takes this movie and doesn't make it a great movie for me, right? Because I have to watch certain movies at least once a year. Right. Because I Star just, Wars, I, right? Yes, I just have to see them. This is not one of those movies that I need to see every year. Mm-hmm. Not even every ten years apparently, already, mm-hmm. and like you said, probably not again now that I know exactly what's going on. And so this film, we'll, we'll see it as we go forward with like Mission Impossible 2, it does a good job building Ethan's character, right? Sure. You'll understand his who he is when you go into Mission Impossible 2. In Mission Impossible 2, I think he's more of a superhero uh, in that movie, from what I remember anyway, than mm-hmm. he is, in, you know... Yeah, agent. I don't remember much from that. I do, I do remember. It might be the second or the third one where he he decides to be more of a family man, right? I think and that's gets, the third. Then he gets pulled away, or and that like one's that. really good. I remember the third one being really good. Yeah, that one notably for the villain, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Hoffman. Oh yeah. yeah. So I'm very excited to watch that one, and that is one that I would watch again, and that I have watched multiple times. I've seen it a couple of times it. as well. Yeah, Ghost Protocol. Even when we get to that, I've seen that a couple times at least. Um, but this movie, I don't know what it is. I don't have a positive or negative feel to it. Now, the question is, can I recommend this film to watch? If someone has never seen Mission Impossible, they're going to go watch Rogue Nation. It's like, hey, I've never seen Mission Impossible. Should I watch it? What would you say? You don't need to watch it, I don't think, to go see Rogue Nation. Right? This is the fifth movie in the series. Yeah. So one to five, like you said, they're probably not going to bring anything that you would need to go back and rewatch it for, right? So you don't need to see it. I'm just one of those people that I, I like to watch movies in succession. Yeah. From one to five. I would go back and watch it. I would want somebody to tell me to see it. And I, I don't know, just being a being a movie fan... I think you just have to be able to say that you've seen Mission Impossible. So, I believe that I would say if you've not seen it, you should watch it. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it and you can't remember this, if you don't remember the story, if if you've seen it and you don't remember the story, yeah, watch it again. Mm-hmm. But if you are familiar with it, no, I don't think it's needed. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And I'm surprised I have that opinion, honestly. Well, that's how much you might have forgotten in 10 years. And in 10 years, I've obviously, maybe my tastes in movies have changed. You know, everything's kind of changed the way that it's done. But this movie really felt like an 80s movie to me. Right. Because, I mean, we weren't alive in the 60s to see the TV show, right? So we see the movie in 1996 or whenever it came out. We're young. We watch it. It's a good action movie. Mm -hmm. We don't have spoiled eyes. So the special effects are looking pretty good to us. Mm-hmm. But now rewatching it 10 years later. Yeah, and you have to... Like, if someone asked me if, if they should watch Mission Impossible as well, if they've never seen it, and they've seen Spectre, and they've seen Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World, Oof. they're going to go back, and the story isn't that strong. I mean, it it's builds short, the characters. Yeah, it's, it's They drug out that first yeah. scene for, like, the first half an hour, 40 minutes or something of the movie... And then I remembered I had to pause. And I was like, there's only an hour left? Mm-hmm. Not in a good way. Like, yeah. what are they, what? It's like, you know, part one and part two and that's it. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, iconic scenes, right? With the him hanging down from the from the ceiling. Oh yeah. If you've never seen Mission Impossible, I would still say even in this day and age, watch it. You're gonna hurry. laugh. You're gonna laugh at the '80s. Or it feels like '80s. Well, hurry and watch it before it gets too outdated. Yeah, right? it's very outdated. This movie does not age well. You can look at back at some of the old Bond movies from the '60s. They still age decently. Yeah, I mean they have cool special effects. Uh, the acting is pretty good. Uh, they have for a spy movie, right? They have cool gadgets. Mm-hmm. Video glasses. In Mission Impossible, I can get those in like a Hasbro spy kit now. You know what I mean? These days, yeah. Back then, it was breaking technology, though. I mean, he had like a little, he had a little Apple Watch that he was looking at so on Nito. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do. I would have to say this: if you've never seen Mission Impossible, a why are you listening to this? B, yeah, watch it. But don't expect, don't expect the impact that it had. In the 90s. Yes, absolutely. So, that's my thoughts on Mission Impossible. Anything else, Mr. Duehi, to add? So, as with any movie, right, the proof is in the results that it gets. So, as we were saying, yes. As we were saying, did it pay off for them to have those high-profile actors and kind of bank more on the brand Mission Impossible, right? So, they spent $80 million, and it made... $457.7 $457.7 million box office. Mm-hmm. And Jurassic Park, three three years earlier, $63 million, $17 million less on budget, and they grossed over $1 billion. Mm-hmm. So more than double Mission Impossible. Yeah. And that's the difference. That's mm-hmm. the mark of a classic movie versus a pretty, a good movie back in its day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you you can see that back in its day, this was an important movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but today, I don't know. Not important. Well, let's see. Back in the 60s, if we go in like the, the age group of people that are watching it back then, about our age in the 60s, it's like, what, 55 years ago? So let's go ask somebody in their 70s or 80s right now. They were probably going to tell you that the Mission Impossible movie is really, really good. Yeah, because that's their childhood being exactly. made into a movie. Yeah, so obviously, still kind of talking with the age of a film, the background of the moviegoer also has to deal with that as well, isn't it? Yep. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how, um, if you, dear listener, watch this movie... Yep. Even if you've seen it again, if you if you want to go back and watch it again, I would be really interested to see what your opinion is on it, honestly. Because me, I honestly thought I was going to go in it and love it. Yeah, it was going to be dated, whatever. But the story and the acting just didn't suck me in. And I'm really disappointed that it didn't, and I wanted it to. And I remember it did in the past, but it just doesn't have the effect on me anymore. I, I didn't have so much of a problem with the plot. I thought there was a lot going on. I thought there was... If See, it's I have a different opinion because I've seen it before. I knew at the beginning that it, you know, I guess we... It's spoiler, whatever. I we, we knew at the beginning that it wasn't as it seemed. Yeah. And we knew who was responsible for it. So it didn't have the same shock factor at the end. But I'd like to think that if I hadn't seen it before, I would have been a little surprised. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that we knocked on the special effects a lot, but there there were a few really good special effects, right? The the face that they that they used, mm-hmm. and then they ripped it off a few times. Mm-hmm. Th- that was really good, especially at the very end when Tom Cruise was uh, being John uh, Voight. That was really good. So props to that. But that's more of a makeup. Yeah, that's more of a makeup kind of than an effect. Than so. But I mean, whoever was in the effects department maybe failed this movie a bit. <laughs> so, I definitely um, am looking forward to talking to Mission Impossible, talking Mission Impossible next week with Mission Impossible Two, because like I remember, I remember really liking that movie as well, being more amped up, more action. It was more of an action movie than the yep. spy movie, uh, and having actually wasn't Anthony Daniels in that one? I can't I'm remember. Because sure. he was, I mean, he was pretty. Uh, hot at the time. 
So looking at Mission Impossible, I would say that if I were to rank these movies, and we'll, I, I think that would be kind of fun to do that as we go through these, just rank them where we think they would be. This one is most likely going to be at the bottom, no matter what. Now, I would be surprised if one is worse than this. Be between one and two, which one is at the bottom, but we know that Probably. three starts the upslide. Three was excellent, and then Ghost Protocol I remember liking. It had well, some crazy stuff, too. Ghost Protocol, regardless of whether or not the story is amazing, the special effects and the way that it's filmed is probably going to supersede this one because you're not going to look at it in, like, with an you'll be, odd eye. You'll probably pulled in more to it, yeah. yeah. And you got a, a good cast at that point. Yep. And it's not all about names anymore. Tom Cruise, I think, is probably your your biggest name in all these films going forward. Oh, yeah. Easily. Philip Seymour Hoffman was pretty big, too. But, uh, but yeah. And I think from the perspective of the technical, they'll get better with time. Agreed. But, again, and I don't want to say that I don't like this movie, but I just don't like it. I'm in the same boat. I, I don't know if there's a, a word or phrase to describe it. Lethargic, maybe? Sure. That'll work. That'll work. I don't know what it means. Sounds about right. (laughs) So next week we'll be discussing Mission Impossible 2. And I do want to point out as well with this movie, I was paying attention to the score, obviously, as I was watching it, because I always do that with with these movies. I pay attention to the score. The score felt out of place, too. The the best thing about this movie was the dun-dun-dun, which is like the main theme. And they, they pepper that in through the score. A little bit. Not much. Mm-hmm. But then, like, the ancillary music, the ambient music, didn't work for and me. And sometimes there, were, there was no music, and you would just kind of be watching a scoreless scene. Mm-hmm. And it, it felt like it drug on, and I was like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, not in a good way. Like, let's, let's get it on. Let's get on with it, mm-hmm. you know? So... So, sometimes they they take the score away to build tension in a scene. You can still have that that ambient yeah. what you call in the background to build the tension that way. And maybe they just hadn't gotten to that point in that time era. I'm, I'm sure, sure they have. I mean, you look at some of the Bond movies did it. So, looking forward to talking Mission Impossible two next week. Uh, I think that it might be a little bit more of an enjoyable discussion. I mean, th- th- not that this discussion wasn't enjoyable, but I feel bad that I don't care about the movie. That's it. I just don't care about the movie. So um, I'm really surprised that I've come to that conclusion. Yep. And again, listener, I I really want to I want to hear your thoughts and opinions on Mission Impossible. If you've watched it recently. Mm-hmm. Definitely if you've watched it recently. Uh, I think I would enjoy this more as a novel. Because it would be a more complete story, I don't think there'd be enough plot holes, and the acting wouldn't detract. I I think spy novels are always more entertaining to read. The Jack Ryan ones by Tom Clancy, those are always really good to watch. Like, I was never... I can go back and watch any of those, which are all before this movie, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't feel taken out of it. Like, the ones with Harrison Ford, uh, Clear and Present Danger, Patriot Games... Even the one with Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery, Hunt for Red October. Um, and then the two after that came after this for sure. Because I think Hunt for Red October may have been 89, possibly 91, somewhere right. in there. So I – and those are examples of movies that age well. Yeah. So those would be kind of interesting to go back and watch at some point. But And I read the Alex Ryder books when I was in school. I don't the, know what uh, that is. Stormbreaker, they were spy spy novels. It was okay. like a MI6. Okay. So they were good. That's cool. They were really entertaining to read, and it's because you can read the words, and you can paint the picture in your head, mm-hmm. so it always ages well. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's a classic at that point, right? Timeless. So be looking forward to Mission Impossible 2 next week, but in the meantime, I have a question for... You, Alex, and you, dear listeners. And you already heard my answer for this. Am I answering now, or...? You're answering now. Okay. Did you ever hum the Mission Impossible theme song, acting like a spy? Like, playing, doing whatever. You already have my answer to this. I gave that earlier in the the podcast. Listener, have you ever done it? What was your occasion? Alex. When I was younger, or, like, yesterday? (laughs) That works, too. Because the answer's both. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's always, I used to do it when I was younger. Yes, you have that fantasy, right? But it's like the music, man, just gets you pumped up, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless or not, whether or not I was thinking of myself as a spy, like I was driving around in my car, I'm like, bump, bump, bump. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Speeding, yeah, it's the best. (laughs) And I like the remix version that was at the end of this movie, too. During Mm -hmm. the credits, they had the remix kind of. But yeah, the, the main theme... That is classic. That is timeless. That'll endure long past these films, uh, long past us, even. So, looking forward to your thoughts on uh, on Mission Impossible. And if you ever hummed the Mission Impossible theme song, acting like a spy, you can review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn, and obviously listen to us on those channels as well. And did you know that TuneIn is on the Xbox One? So technically. You could be listening to us on the Xbox One right now. Wow. Big time. We made it. Moving up. We're on Xbox. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Not 360, though. Only only on Xbox One. Well, we only go it, for the... Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Scoop! We got to news. Oh, man. <laughs> so, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Uh, if you would be so kind as to leave us a review... That'd be awesome. It increases our visibility, and other people can listen to our fine, in-depth discussions on how much we don't care about Mission Impossible. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. I can't believe I'm... I just can't believe that that's my opinion. I, I'm i surprised. It's an opinion, right? Yeah, it's a... It's... It's... Is it? That you don't care? Is that really an opinion? I mean, I guess it means that it's not a good opinion, but it's not a... It, it's a neutral opinion. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, very Switzerland on this issue. <laughs> so uh, you can tweet at us at EntertainingPod or send us an email. That's entertaining at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, maybe we can share some of your thoughts on the air if you so approve. Alex, on the tweets? Oh, always active on the tweets, Nathan. Yep. Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at D-O-U-E-1-H-1. Gamertag is the same without the at sign. Yes. And I know people are trying to f- hook up with you to play some Halo. I'm uh, not Halo. Some Destiny. Halo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, what is that? Destiny. Yeah, we almost hooked up with Dan uh, this weekend. Uh, it just didn't work out uh, with my schedule when I was going to be available. But uh, we're getting closer, and we're going we're gonna to run some Destiny. It's going to be great. I'll be interested to find out who's the best at a Destiny level, you guys, because I know it's a big competition. I'm on this Twitter chat with them talking about Destiny all the time, so I think you. Uh, no, we'll be on I the think you got some team. stiff competition. I'm sure I do. There's lots of talented gamers out there, but uh, I mean, I don't know how many hours I have on that thing. I better be pretty decent though, because I've spent a ton of time on it. <laughs> I even know some people that uh, play on both PlayStation and Xbox and have like level 30 whatever characters on both. That's that's a lot of time. That is. But speaking of time, we are out of it for this week. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you have been entertained. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds.